Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global, multi-stakeholder community. And I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with uh, Professor Christoph Stuckelberger. Christoph, um, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Allow me to introduce Christoph. He's a professor in ethics and he's worked in Europe, Nigeria, Russia, China. And in 2004, he was the founder of Globe Ethics Net Foundation. And he published as an author uh, over 40 books and has been an editor over 100 books. So, um, Christoph, again, welcome to the program. We're going to talk about ethics today uh, related to cyberspace. Um, and I just uh, discussed in the introduction, you have uh, present, uh, this, uh, you could say teach uh, around the world. Um, is ethics universal or are there differences dependent on which part of the world you're uh, dealing with? Uh, thank you, Fritz, for this question. Um, yeah, that's one of the core issues I deal with in, since uh, 20, 30 years. And uh, <clears throat> my interest was always to find out exactly what you say. That's why I'm teaching on uh, different continents also, to be really on ground. And, and I was working for uh, uh, also decades in development. So uh, what do we have in common in values and where do we have differences? Uh, my basic assumption is the following. We are all human beings and as such, we have basic human needs and we have also basic human values and virtues, uh, which are common. But then, of course, we have a lot of uh, cultural differences. But uh, I'm interested to see this at both levels, the, 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 the basic uh, common values. Um, and then when it comes to contextualization, it becomes different. I take an example. We all need love. We all need to be uh, respected. So respect, for example, is a, a real um, virtue worldwide to give respect, to receive respect in interaction. Uh, that is uh, wherever you are, old and young, uh, in Africa, in Asia, in Europe. But then, of course, there are differences. Take the, the gender issue, um, uh, respect between men and women, respect to older people or not. So then becomes, of course, uh, comes the differences, uh, the respect for authorities in uh, traditional African cultures, for example, is my, or Asian also is higher than in Europe where a young person can already criticize an 80 per, uh, years old person, which is uh, excluded in some other uh, cultures yeah uh, i understand that it, it has regional yeah. variations as a uh, because of the culture uh, so it's going to be very interesting now to discuss how that uh, what the implications are for cyber ethics because uh, first of all uh, could you maybe give a brief description of what globe ethics is about what do you aim to achieve with that Globethics.net is a global foundation based in Geneva with uh, offices around the world with participants from 200 countries, we call them registered participants. Um, and uh, the goal is to exactly your uh, original question, to see uh, what is common in global values and how to strengthen value-driven behavior. 
um, and um, at the same time uh, discover and strengthen the respect for the diversity. We are not uh, one uh, and, and do not need to be one, but we need to live in peace and mutual understanding. So how to strengthen this understanding? And we have tools like uh, online, uh, online courses, also campus courses. We work now, especially with universities, ethics in higher education, we call it. But we started with an online library because uh, when I worked in development, we, we have seen again and again that access to knowledge is key and uh, many people are deprived of it. So we started the, the largest uh, um, online library on ethics with uh, over 4 million documents for free download um, so that in, in rural Africa or in a university in Bangladesh or in uh, uh, Burma or in, in uh, Philippines, uh, this can be accessed um, where you don't may not have the money to buy a book of $50 if you earn $500 a month. Four million documents, that's huge, that's massive. <clears throat> Impressed. Now, you have, you, so you offer a full suite and uh, when I look at what you're offering, you also offer a course on cyber ethics. Now, why was that needed? Why did you, when and why did you introduce that? I mean, the, the, the whole network, Global Ethics Net, is somehow um, uh, a child of the, of the digitalization of the world. Um, if we have online books, um, that's thanks to the cyber um, uh, world, so to say. But uh, the challenges today are manifold because uh, um, we, it's, it's new for many. And um, the question is, are these the same values that are valid in a direct interaction or in an indirect interaction through this uh, virtual uh, communication as we do now? We don't meet uh, person to person, but uh, does it mean that we now need another ethics or not? And my assumption in that is uh, that Basically, we can refer to the same core values. The, 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 the worldwide accepted um, double commandment, do to the others what you want them to do, which is a very logical, it is in the Bible, it's in the Quran, it's in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, it, because it is a logical thing, I should expect from the other what um, I expect uh, what I, I, I should do to the other, what I expect from him, so, or her. Now, the question is, is the cyber world now a different world which needs different rules? And that's yes and no. The values are the same, but uh, the challenges are new. Uh, how to deal with a virtual, how to deal with the security, uh, how to deal with data collection, how to deal with uh, bullying online, how to deal with all these threats, the psychological mental problems behind. So these are all issues which are uh, specifically related to the cyberspace. And uh, we need now new instruments and new methods in order to remain humane, to remain human also in our cyber interaction. Okay, so to remain humane online, because um, 
I, I have two thoughts here. First of all, because of the internet and global communications, uh, we can now talk online to people around the world. So uh, that already introduces uh, different cultures mixing. So I can understand that uh, creates an ethical issue. So which uh, culture are, is going to be dominant in that discussion? Uh, another aspect could be that uh, you read a lot that people behave differently even within their own culture when they're online, offline. So online, because you're hidden behind the screen, you're at home, it's safe. People are much more abusive than if you meet face-to-face. -face. Uh, so just wondering what your take on that. How can, what's the impact? Uh, I mean, this is the impact I see, but then what are we going to do about that? I think that's one of the big challenges because we are um, um, the, the the danger of abuse is really there. Uh, why? Because we have a, a kind of in the cyberspace a kind of anonymity. Mm -hmm. We can have, uh, of course, when we are on video, it's it's less the case, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, without video, we can have uh, double, triple uh, identities. We we and uh, we can play around uh, being different personalities, um, and many do it. Uh, you have uh, fake, uh, or we, you you have an, a, a Facebook account which is uh, you have two for two different identities, and that is really dangerous and also mentally dangerous, but also spiritually and and politically and legally, of course. Okay. So um, um, to to learn that we should use the cyberspace as the physical space and not separate it and say, oh, in cyber I can do uh, whatever I want. And that's also why this whole issue of accountability, where you are the specialist with the Institute of Accountab uh, Accountability in the Digital Age is so crucial. We need to uh, develop the sense that we are accountable on the internet as we are when we are face-to-face -face meeting somebody. Yeah. And the, the, the second point is, uh, I think we all uh, have now this phenomenon of, of uh, what we call the Zoom fatigue. Yeah. We, and that means uh, cyberspace is a, a, an enormous um, advantage for humanity and I use it every day, it's great. We can connect with our family members, with the great grandchildren uh, in Australia, whatever, even if we can't meet them now due to COVID. But, uh, and we can meet uh, you, I can meet, uh, I can teach. I teach on different continents now online because I cannot travel or could not travel to Nigeria, for example. So that's great. But we need now to, to know, or we all know that human relations work only if we also from time to time meet physically. And that is part of accountability. I know, oh, Fritz is a human being. And uh, it's not just a fake uh, something. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, I want to be in relation to you, which uh, goes beyond this, uh, this emission now and this talk. That means I want to, uh, be reliable to you as I would be when we meet face to face. Okay. Um, I follow this. Uh, at the same time, I, I'm also thinking of what I see around me that traditionally, if you look at people 
uh, in a work environment and in their private environment, uh, sometimes those are two different people. So we already, uh, even without uh, techno modern technology, we already have different persona dependent on the environment we're in. So we already have that phenomenon. So how is that in cyberspace different? Um, is it different compared to uh, that, that example I just gave? That's a good point. But uh, in ethics, and I worked a lot on business ethics, work ethics also, and, 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 and the rest of finance ethics, um, I think one, one uh, goal is also without cyber that we try to be coherent. Uh, between the different identities that, that we have. It's true. Uh, in my profession, uh, I have different tasks, different roles than in the family or in, with, with friends. Yeah. But um, I, I, I published and taught a lot about uh, integrity leadership. What is a person with integrity? It is a person who has this coherence. I'm not a totally different, let's say I'm a crook in my professional life. I exploit, I yeah. cheat, I, um, I am corrupt, which I would never do in my family life because that's too, too, too complicated, you know. So, um, but integrity means I try to have the same values in my professional life, in my political um, existence, in my private existence. And I think this coherence is very key um, and uh, it becomes a bit more complicated with cyber, but I agree with you, uh, the phenomenon of having different identities or let's say roles in life is not new, but we have to deal with it now in a, a more complex way when we have always this shift between virtual and real. Okay. Uh, again, that triggers me a thought. Um, because one of the benefits of the offline world is because we're so compartmentalized, uh, siloed, um, we can be one person in one situation and one person in the other situation, another person. Uh, one of the things which the internet allows now, because it always remembers, so it remembers what you have done 10 years ago. You can just still find that online. You can't remove that. Or in a, in a lot of cases, you can't remove that. So, uh, so to what extent does the internet also force people to be more consistent? Because anytime specifically people in a political environment uh, make a comment, they always get referred to people digging up their past. Look, hey, you made that comment five or 10 years ago. So, hey, it's different from what you made right now. So we... Uh, we are held accountable because the, the technology allows us to remember what you have done in the past. Yeah, that's a very uh, sensitive point and um, um, a critical one. I think human development and ethics means, yes, to be in, uh, with integrity and coherence, but also able to correct oneself. So we all are living beings, we're not a machine. That means we should be able also to say, oh, what I said 10 years ago is wrong now. Uh, I, I cannot subscribe it anymore. And even our brain allows us to filter. It's a, it's a good filter. We can forget 
and forget is a blessing. It's not only a, a disease huh? when yep. you have Alzheimer. It's a blessing because it means you can filter and you can be open for new things. And that's why the internet needs to have mechanisms to be able to forget. That means we need to be able to erase things that have been in the internet. And otherwise it becomes very unhumane internet and unhuman because uh, we, we then fear. And I think may, may more and more people abstain from internet or I hope abstain if they cannot erase what they said. So what I say now uh, with you, I hope that it does not stand for 100 years in the internet because I may be different in 10 years or even in two. Uh, uh, or even tomorrow in that respect. Uh, so, now, Chris, I, I think you're absolutely right. And this is a very interesting thought to follow when it uh, also related to uh, the accountability. Side. So I, I would, if I may add one yeah. sentence, I mean, the right to forget is a human right. And that is crucial and is different, is difficult. And we need to talk also to the, the big, the GAFA uh, companies uh, to say, look, this is a human right. And each person has the right to erase something. Of course, there is then criminal issues uh, and so on. Uh, um, but uh, we should claim this right uh, um, also to restart, you know, uh, I'm, my background is theology and uh, Christian ethics. So the, the, the ability to reset the button in your life and restart. I worked with prisoners and uh, this is key. You need to give them a chance when they come out of prison to say, now the past is the past. You have a chance to restart and, and, and reorient your life. And this is a very key value in life to allow people to correct and to restart. So if I hear you correctly, you actually want uh, to go far beyond uh, the, the GDPR ruling which Europe has put in place, which allows you to just to take away a piece of information. Uh, I'm hearing you say, well, it would be interesting just to have an opportunity to push the button and erase everything. It's maybe radical when I say that. I mean, I, I would maybe not go as far as this, but uh, because there is also a value, of course, in, in history. I have books at home, physical books, 500 years old, and I'm very impressed I can still read it. Of course, I, I, that's, a, that's a value to have also memory. So you see the ambiguity. We need to be able to erase and to preserve and to find the right balance between the two is, is key. But uh, to, to go back in criminal records and say, 40 years ago, you have stolen uh, this and this, uh, uh, we still know it, that's, uh, that's disastrous for a human being. Got that. So, uh, and that's just because I understand in your cyber ethics course, you talk about a lot of what are the main ethical aspects, uh, but also the, the space management approaches and uh, the models uh, to create this from an ethical perspective uh, to, uh, to, to manage the cyberspace. Could you take us on what uh, cyberspace management approaches you advocate? Sorry, so? 
Well, uh, in, your, in your cyber ethics course, you talk about the need for cyberspace management approaches and models. I was wondering if you could take the audience between with what those approaches could be and look like. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me talk about one aspect which is often not mentioned. That is the economic aspect behind. I am teaching in Nigeria, and Nigeria is known as one country with a lot of cyber uh, crime, cyber criminals. I had students who approached me and uh, we discussed it because they said, look, I have no money to study. I want to study. I get an offer as a cyber criminal uh, um, to work and I get a huge income. In six months, I can finance my studies. And there is an ethical dilemma. I want to study and I don't want to be a cyber criminal, but if I can get money, $5,000 a month, imagine, whereas the father of the student get $500 a month as a worker or as an employee. So uh, as a student, you can have 10 times the money of your father uh, just by uh, some cyber criminal activities. So, um, and, and that is, I think, it, the whole cyber issue is also an issue of poverty and wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and of course of greed, because some uh, people are in the cyberspace, not out of need, but out of greed. So uh, that's one aspect. Uh, the other is um, the, the, um, um, the, the to, to respect the cultural differences, and that is not easy. We, we have also the advantage of uh, the cyberspace that it's a unified space and we allow, uh, or we, we, we have similar attitudes, for example, when we have a Zoom meeting. But uh, we should not forget that we are still in different cultures. And one is, for example, I take the example of, uh, of control. I'm always surprised that, uh, for example, our Chinese friends they are not so much afraid about uh, cyber control by the government as we are. So these are true differences. We think from outside, oh, they are blind or they are, not, they are just oppressed. No, they also accept it because it's part of their culture, uh, many of them. So um, that means we have to respect these differences also in terms of uh, cyber uh, security and cyber data collection. I got that. Um, now, does that mean because we're now connected online on a global level, uh, does that require new principles of behavior in cyberspace or is just accepting everybody has different principles? So is there going to be something new universal or is it just a matter of getting along on the Internet and acknowledging our differences? I think there are some, some new um, aspects, not new values, but new adaptation of these values. And, and one is really what we already discussed, this whole storage issue, memory issue. The other is really um, the, the data ownership and uh, the, the, the question of who can use what. We all know that uh, this big data, um, which is available, has a lot of advantages. Mm -hmm. With AI, you can, I, I'm in, involved in e-health projects, for example, you can do wonderful things. 
by analyzing uh, diseases uh, and so on and so on. Even the pandemic is heavily dependent on, uh, on, on this big data collection. But at the same time, we need the, the, uh, the sensitivity to respect uh, the privacy, not in a, in a exaggerated uh, way, everything I say online is, is my own property and not on, on that side, but uh, really to balance uh, privacy and data sharing. And uh, again, that's a principle. What it means in concrete is not so easy. But for example, I'm um, um, ambivalent, uh, ambiguous, or even uh, a bit skeptical about this uh, total integration I can, I, uh, of data. I, I uh, attended several uh, international conferences now, for example, on smart cities. And yep. the government collects all my travel data, my uh, uh, attitude at home, uh, my professional data, and so on. And the advantage, of course, is obvious. We, we have more data, uh, but I would say that the, the temptation to collect as many data as possible is there. And we should resist this temptation and say, no, let's limit the data collection and also let's uh, give the, the space where we are out of, of all that. I need a privacy space at home, but also at the workplace. We have no camera, we have no uh, spy in the air where I am really private. And otherwise um, we, we, we get crazy, I think. I think you're right. And that triggers to me another question for you. Uh, we just discussed that we have different cultures uh, based on our various backgrounds. Uh, and could you flip that around in the sense that um, should we treat all technology equal or do you see that uh, the ethics can be technology dependent? So we treat AI differently than other systems? The, again, from the basic values, no, we should not treat it differently, but the application is quite complex. And one big issue is, for example, in AI and in artificial intelligence that um, many people fear now that uh, the machine becomes stronger than humans. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, it's true. They are faster in calculating. They are better in analyzing. Uh, but I think a human-centered development, which of course includes a nature-centered development, is key where we say we as human beings we have to be in the driver's seat and we cannot delegate responsibility to a technology. We have this uh, debate about uh, uh, autonomous cars, uh, who is then responsible if there is an accident. Me as a car holder or car driver remain responsible. And that's part of accountability we are, you are dealing with. So I think that is key. We cannot say the machine is now a human being or has a, a human dignity as this robot in Saudi Arabia who got uh, citizenship. That's rubbish. Uh, I'm a bit sharp on that. But uh, 
we cannot delegate human responsibility to a machine, even if this machine has attitudes which are faster, more precise, more intelligent than we may be. But the, even a robot is, is originally designed and fed by a human being. And then this autonomous development of the technology, which threatens many human beings, they say, oh, the robot is now uh, controlling me. That is a fear which is, in my view, justified. And that means we need to have, um, first of all, to recognize we humans remain responsible for the technologies, even if this technology is much more powerful than we. Um, but it's not, it, it remains a machine and is not a human being. And second, um, that means we need um, now, in each case, each technology to say, what is the chance and where are the limits and where we also resist um, to implement. We could do a lot more in technology and we will be tempted than uh, now. And um, as with the atomic, uh, an, uh, atomic bomb, mm -hmm. we had to say, this is a huge technology, but the threatening. So we need international rules, international conventions to limit. And the same has to be done now with regulations on, on cyber technologies. Uh, the, uh, for example, the, the, the whole run now to, 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 the, to the cyberspace outside the world with all these controls, with uh, satellites, this has to be controlled and by international multilateral uh, mechanisms. I'm sitting here in my office just a few hundred meters from ILO, from WIPO, from WHO. These are all organizations who, uh, who are uh, uh, interested for ITU and, and uh, need now to, to help this frame. And we as governments, as citizens, we need to accept that we need an international legal strong uh, frame, including then uh, with sanction mechanisms the Den Haag uh, uh, court, yeah. international court, where we say, if somebody violates this and this, we bring it to Den Haag. Okay. Uh, an international court of arbitration in the cyber domain. Right. Now, you mentioned we need rules, regulation, we need a law. Uh, one of the reasons why the Institute for Accountability was set up is that those same institutions realize technology is moving so fast, the legal framework cannot keep up with. So we have a 21st century issue, digital technology, trying to be resolved or governed with 19th century technology. So that, that gap's still growing. Yes, I mean, <clears throat> That's uh, something we all suffer. That uh, law is always behind the technology; uh, is 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 slower. Um, I think we cannot change that. We can only uh, try to reduce this gap a bit because the speed of technology is is huge. That means we need also to speed up legislation, regulation mechanisms. 
and that's not easy in a democracy. It needs time. I'm uh, from Switzerland. It's terribly slow, our democracy. Um, but uh, that, that's a reality if you want to have a people's participation. Uh, but still, um, I think there are efforts now to speed up some regulations. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. The other is also, do we need to slow down the technological development? And that is not easy neither. Um, but uh, I mean, this question of a moratorium in some technologies is not new. We, I discussed the moratorium idea some 20, 30 years back when it was, for example, on, uh, on um, atomic energy, uh, when we said, yeah, the, if the, the, the power plants are not safe enough, we need a moratorium. And in Switzerland, we have a moratorium since uh, 10 or 20 years, no new nuclear power plant, as long as the technology is not uh, more secure and the, the waste, uh, the nuclear waste is not solved. So a, a technology um, a moratorium is very difficult to implement, I know, but we may have some specific fields of application where we can uh, we we can uh, agree on it. That is an interesting thought, uh, and that's a, a, a whole discussion on its own uh, how you could implement a moratorium because there's so much uh, value to be gained by being in front with this technology from a power perspective and economic perspective. So interesting to have that discussion if that's going to happen or not. Uh, but I get your point that we need to, 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 to balance uh, both. You know, maybe, maybe the, the real moratorium, it's not a moratorium, but the slowdown may happen through these uh, now national regulations. To slow down the technology development, of course, is ambivalent, but one factor uh, is already in place. That's the cyber sovereignty, where nations now try to limit uh, or to control the cyberspace with national legislation. And that will, of course, uh, slow down because then uh, you need to compete between these uh, sovereignties. Uh, that's not the best solution, um, but uh, it's a fact that it will have a slowdown effect, in my view. Okay. Hey, a couple of questions then to end, Chris. Uh, we're almost at the end of uh, this discussion. Um, are you optimistic about what's happening in cyberspace at the moment? I call myself a pessimist full of hope. That means <laughs> uh, when I look at the world, of course, there are threatening developments in terms of really data control and, and all that. Uh, at the same time, um, I'm full of hope in the sense that there is a lot of goodwill of people who want to improve. Your institution um, for accountability is certainly one of them and many others who say, let's, uh, uh, this is a new technology and uh, we need, as with each new technology, we need to learn to live with it to make the best of it, but also to, to control it in a way so that, as I said, the human remain in the driver's seat. Well, Chris, I think that's a great way to end. Uh, keep on having that uh, human-centric approach. And I also very much like what you said in the beginning is 
look at what we have in common. Exactly. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for your time and sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Fritz. Thank you.